Hey listeners, are you enjoying our podcasts and coaching advice? Do you feel like some guidance and accountability could help you stay motivated and focused during these uncertain pandemic times? We love connecting with our listeners and collaborating to make training work for your goals, your life, your personality. As a thank you for listening to our podcast, we want to offer any new clients $20 off the first month of coaching, which is normally $150. Email us at Julie and Lisa at runfartherandfaster.com to set up a time to connect over the phone to learn more. And be sure to mention this special offer as one of our loyal listeners. Hey, Julie. Hey, Lisa. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. How are you? I'm doing well, thanks. We have a great show today. I'm really excited that we were able to welcome on the podcast um, a lawyer named Akiva Shapiro, who is representing Speedy Beatty or Beatty Deutsch, who has now been a guest on our podcast twice and is the top marathoner in Israel and is likely to be an Olympic marathon contender. So Lisa, why don't you share how we ended up getting Akiva on our show and what's going on with that? Well, first, I just think it's really neat that um, we've kind of followed BD since she's she's a relatively new runner. She's only been running for about five years. And when we first interviewed her a few years ago, I think it was, she was really just starting on the upward trajectory of her her running career. And um, she's really just an amazing woman, very relatable. Um, When she started running, she had four kids. Um, She is a a mom. Uh, She was not a full-time professional runner until recently. And so it's just been really neat to watch her trajectory and follow her. And uh, recently she ran a 232 in January, ran a 232, which got her all that much closer to her goal of making the Olympic team. And um, and and in that pursuit of, of you know, trying to get to the Olympics, when, when the Olympics were still this year, um, the they the, the marathon had been changed to Saturday and BD is a, is an observant Jewish woman. And that was, was an issue. And, uh, with the Olympics being changed to 2021, it is now an issue again. And, um, I think we're all kind of rooting for her to, to be able to participate when she qualifies for Olympics, which we all think is, is within her reach, um, for her to be able to participate. So, uh, this is a new development in, in her, in her um, quest to become, represent Israel at the Olympics. And um, you had seen a, a post that she had put up recently on social media. You want to talk about that a little bit that talked about yeah. the next step that she's decided to take. Yeah. So Beatty quietly asked the IOC, the International Olympic Committee, if they would consider changing the date of the women's marathon from Saturday to Sunday. And in 2020, they had already scheduled it. They had the men's marathon on Sunday and the women's on Saturday, and they declined. And then when Tokyo was canceled, she thought, well, maybe here's my opportunity. I'll try again. And again, she quietly asked and was declined um, that. They explained that it was already scheduled without much explanation as to why she couldn't be accommodated. So she did something that she felt was against her character, but it was important to her. And that is that she retained an attorney named Akiva Shapiro to represent her. He's with the law firm of Gibson, Dunn, and Crutcher, and they are representing her pro bono. That means without pay. And they are doing this because they recognize that 
Beatty has an important case in that she is an observant woman who deserves to run and wants to run and cannot run on Saturday, but there is a minimal accommodation that could easily be made because there already is a marathon on Sunday and she's simply asking for that. So in her Instagram post, which um, anyone can check out, she talks about how hard this is for her, how uncomfortable this is for her. And it's hard for her to discuss, but she felt that she knew she needed to speak up, to speak up not only on behalf of all religious runners and athletes, but for herself because she's been working so hard for this opportunity. So uh, after we read that, we read that she retained Akiva Shapiro from Gibson, Dunn, and Crutcher. Um, we casually mentioned to a friend of ours, Jen Schwartz, whose husband works at Gibson, Dunn, and Crutcher, if he happened to know Akiva Shapiro, which fortunately he does. So very recently, um, Jason Schwartz put us in touch with Akiva Shapiro and a few days later, we had him on the podcast, and that's how the small world works. So that's pretty cool. And it was very generous of Akiva to uh, give us some time to talk about this pro bono case that he's working on already, but something he's very passionate about. And um, you know, everyone will hear as, as we talk. Um, one of the questions that comes up, I, I think, from a lot of critics or people who have questions about this accommodation request is, she's one person. Like, it's one person. Um, why should the IOC accommodate her her particular request? And something we were just talking about, um, I said, wouldn't it be nice if it was all of the runners that were racing? And they all, you know, one thing that we love about the running community is that we support each other. And I was just putting myself in that position thinking if I was on that team, happened to be lucky enough to be on the Olympic team. And even if I wasn't Jewish and I'm not observant, so even if, you know, I was, but even if I wasn't Jewish, that I would support any other athlete's legitimate request for an accommodation that wouldn't affect any of the other athletes. You know, I don't see any difference between having a race on a Sunday or a Saturday or a Friday or even Saturday after sundown, especially with the heat. You know, I, it won't affect the other runners' races to have it on a different day, especially at this point where the, the Olympics are next summer in 2021. Plenty of planning and planning your training and whatever it is that you have to do take place. And I thought, well, I would certainly support that. And so instead of it being just one person asking the IOC, what if it was the, you know, what if it was all of the qualified Olympic athletes? What if it was the larger running community? What if everyone banded together? What if all the qualified women for the, the women who've qualified for, and, and it hasn't been set exactly, all of the qualifiers have not been set, but what if they all got together and said, no, this is something that we support as a group because power in numbers. So I, th I just thought that would, that may have some more, you know, give a little bit more heft to the argument than, than just one person. But as you talk about when we get into the discussion is it starts with one person. So, and as BD recognized that it, sometimes it takes a little bravery and it all starts with one person, but just because it's only one person who's affected doesn't mean that um, others can't support her. Absolutely. And isn't that what the Olympics are all about? Embracing our differences, but recognizing we all have the same goals. Her yeah. goal is to compete and plain and simple. She just needs support. So we recorded this episode and we hope that those who listen will spread the word. will bring this issue to others' attention who may not know about it. And maybe by some miracle, the IOC will hear about it and respond appropriately because after listening to her why and listening to the arguments and the lack of precedent, but yet there is precedent, 
you'll hear that it's, it's really not an unreasonable request at all. And it, it really can be done. Yeah. So we're, so, we're, awaiting, we're awaiting a response and I think we're all, again, like I said, started this, you know, we, we followed BD from the very beginning. So I hope that this continues on where there's a favorable decision and we can continue and follow her all the way through her dream, which is to represent Israel at the Olympics. And hopefully, I don't want to say it, but I'll just say it. Hopefully there will be an Olympics in 2021. <laughs> Please. <laughs> All right, so without further ado, um, up next is Akiva Shapiro. Have a great week, Lisa. You too, Julie. Bye. Bye. We are really excited to announce that we have our first sponsor. R&J Sports, which is located in Maryland, is the first sponsor of the Run Farther and Faster podcast. Even though R&J Sports is a locally owned running store, they do ship nationwide and have a website from which you can order, rnjsports.com. If you go onto the website and purchase something over $100, just put in the code RFFFEATURES, F-E-E-T-U-R-E-S, and they'll throw in a free pair of feature socks with your purchase. You can also call the store at 301-881-0021 and over the phone, they'll provide some terrific guidance on which shoes are right for your foot. While it's not the same as a in-person fitting, for many of us, we can't do that yet. So this is a great option. In fact, one of our runners in China recently contacted the store and they provided her with some great advice and she was able to get a replacement pair of shoes that's working for her very well. So again, call R&J Sports at 301-881-0021. Let them know that you're with the Run Farther and Faster podcast. And if you make a purchase of over $100, they'll throw in a free pair of socks or you can go on their website. Thanks so much, R&J, for sponsoring our podcast. Akiva Shapiro, welcome to the Run Farther and Faster podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you guys for having me, Lisa and Julie. Pleasure being here. So we were really excited to connect with you. Um, we've been following BD Deutsch's career for quite some time. And in fact, she's been on our podcast twice already. And we recently read an article about the fact that she um, sought representation and retained you as her attorney. And before we get into her case, we wanted to first have you introduce yourself and share a little bit about who you are and how you ended up representing Speedy BD. All right, so uh, thank you guys again for having me on. I have to admit, being a lawyer, the lawyer that I am, I listened to the couple podcast interviews you did of her because I didn't think I you know, could represent my client you know, <laughs> vigorously and accurately if I didn't, uh, didn't know what I was walking into. I, so fortunately, it doesn't seem like, yeah, yeah, it doesn't seem like a lion's den. I think hopefully a friendly audience here, so. Um, but uh, uh, I'm Akiva Shapiro. I'm a litigation partner at Gibson, Dunn, and Crutcher in their New York office in an international law firm um, with, you know, 1,200 lawyers or something around the world. Um, and I do a mix of constitutional and appellate litigation and then commercial litigation. Um, the, the constitutional litigation is the kind of the fun stuff for me. Um, you know, First Amendment work, defamation cases, um, litigation against government, you know, New York City and New York State um, involving government overreach. I'm, I'm sort of uh, um, uh, libertarian at heart. So whenever I see the government kind of stretching too far, um, I, I like to, you know, uh, fight for the, the rights of individuals. So, uh, so that's what a lot of what I do. And then just general commercial litigation. 
Um, and I do a fair amount of um, pro bono First Amendment religious liberties work. So just kind of, you know, I, I'm, um, I'm observant, Sabbath observant. Um, and myself, I grew up, uh, actually, my parents are Lubavitch. Uh, they were hippies uh, in the 60s. My mother lived in Haight-Ashbury, and my father was backpacking through India doing yoga, and they ended up in Northern California at the uh, UC Berkeley Chabad house in the post-hippie days. Um, kind of, you know, that whole thing had fizzled out, and then all the hippies were like, shoot, what do we do now? <laughs> you know? um, so they met there at the Chabad house. Uh, they guess they decided the next step was Judaism. They hadn't really had much of a background, either of them. Um, and for those listening, Chabad house is a, a Jewish organization that's on many college campuses and, yes. uh, and in cities mm-hmm. worldwide. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Thank you for that. Um, so, you know, so I grew up in Northern California, um, you know, child of these two ex-hippies turned Hasidim. Um, and, you know, I kind of made my own meandering path in life and in faith, but eventually uh, kind of landed where I am, which is a modern Orthodox Jewish community. Um, and so, you know, I, I look out for opportunities to try to defend religious liberties Um when I when I see them, you know, we'll talk about it a little bit more, you know, sure as we get into it, um, you know, there's always there's sort of the 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 right balance between protecting rights and and a religious communities not um, infringing on other people's rights by asserting kind of over asserting over aggressively their you know their 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 own rights or their ability to to, to you know cancel other people or negate other people. But anyway, I'm looking for, you know, always looking for opportunities to um, do something good for the Jewish community. So, um, so BD and I have a mutual friend um, who had heard about her case um, and just kind of take a step back for the listeners that, that haven't listened to the two prior interviews of Speedy Beatty. So she, she is Israel's national women's champion in the marathon. Um, she has been running only for about five years. Uh, she's 30 now, has five children, um, and she started running seriously uh, when she had four children, ran her first marathon ran her second marathon when she was seven months pregnant with her second, with her fifth child, which is just pretty amazing and incredible. Um, I mean, I, I'm not a runner, so the marathon itself seems amazing, but to do that seven months pregnant is just, you know, ama- wow. Um, and then, uh, you know, in 2019, she ran a, you know, her personal record two hour, 42 minute marathon. Um, which at that point in time was within the Olympic qualifying time. Um, and that kind of put her on the map, um, uh, you know, for the Israeli uh, running community. And, and she got connected with the uh, Israeli um, uh, officials and running officials, marathon officials, and started to get the kind of support she needed. M- meanwhile, or all the while she's running and a long skirt past her knees and uh, you know, a shirt past her elbows and a head covering. Um, you know, I think probably the world's first um, Orthodox Jewish elite marathoner. Um, and so, you know, she she was kind of put on the map that way. Um, earlier this year in January, she uh, ran uh, ten minutes faster, 
to 32, which I understand is a pretty awesome time uh, for a women's marathoner. Or men's. Um, <laughs> or men's, all right, yeah, for a marathoner, um, which I calculated to, to under a six-minute mile for the entire 26 <laughs> miles, which is just mind-boggling. Um, so, you know, she, she is well within contention for an Olympic spot uh, for 2020. And basically, um, you know, when uh, the Olymp, when she um, started kind of looking seriously, considering seriously going to Tokyo 2020, obviously before the coronavirus, um, when the Olympics were going to happen this summer, um, she, the, the women's marathon was scheduled on a Sunday, and that's traditionally when the mar- women's marathon takes place. There's one, was one race since 1984 when it was on a Saturday, but other than that, it's always been on a Sunday. So, you know, kind of, she thought the stars are aligning, you know, she's going to make her time. She's the women's marathon champion for Israel, got to the Olympics and kind of, you know, really, uh, achieve this goal, uh, this life or I shouldn't say this life dream because she has only been running for a number of years, but this dream that she's working very hard at for, for, for a number of years now. And so um, then inexplicably and not, I don't think for any particular reason, but just a kind of a moving around the schedules, the Olympic committee or the schedulers moved that race to Saturday. Um, and she found out about it and she was, she said it was like a gut punch. She was just so disappointed. She'd working so hard and had that as her goal um, and had all these supporters and fans that were looking to her and to, as an inspiration, as a mother runner and as a um, somebody who got into running late and later in life um, and as a runner of faith and, and were, you know, really um, um, rooting for her to make it to Tokyo. Um, so she, um, went through some back channel attempts to get the Olympic committee to move that race that was going to be in 2020 off of the Saturday date. Um, and, you know, she just wasn't getting any traction. Then Corona broke out. Um, the Olympics were pushed off to 2021. So now the, that, that those games are going to be held next summer. And she sort of thought, okay, here's an opening, here's an opportunity, you know, um, the schedule needs to be reset and now she's on the map more than she was before she'd already put her, her requests in they'd said the schedule was set so we can't move it but here it's open okay so she you know put another request in wrote another letter um asked again that if you're gonna now that we're rescheduling it can you put it on a sunday like it's traditionally been so i can run it um and unfortunately the response she got was basically that we don't make scheduling changes or even scheduling decisions for uh, religious reasons. Um, and so it is what it is. It'll be scheduled when it's scheduled. And then unfortunately they released the schedule um, a month, month and a half ago um, for 2021. And it's again, they kept it the same. The women's marathon is on a, on a Saturday. Um, really this is a very long answer to your question, but uh, some background necessary. So basically, you know, when that happened, um, and, and just um, pointing out one really important point, it has always been on a Sunday. So yeah. there was one anomaly, and then they had the opportunity to change it back to what it's always been. And they said, no, we can't change it back to what it's right. always been. And she, okay. cannot run it. She, will, she cannot run it on Saturday because it's the Saturday. Yeah, and that's an important point, too. Right. right. That's so, an important point. Yeah, she so. cannot. And, and, she, <laughs> and you know, she doesn't want to run it. It's not like she wants to try to get an exemption from the religious side. She, she 
wants to observe the, the Sabbath and, and run it on any other day of the week. Right. And, you know, I think it's, a you know, for her as an observant Jew, I mean, different people who are Sabbath observant observe different ways. And that's, of course, valid and fine. And people, you know, from um, different faith communities, you know, different people observe Ramadan differently and different people observe the Christian Sabbath differently, you know, more or less strictly with certain practices that they do or don't do. You know, I have coworkers who are uh, Mormon who won't work on a Sunday and others who will. And so, you know, of course, everyone um, has their own understanding of their faith. But I think the important thing and the thing that, you know, I want and I hope that eventually the Olympics will recognize, um, but really more broadly even than the Olympics is the idea that, you know, when, when a person has sincerely held religious beliefs, that they, within their tradition or their understanding, they're restricted from doing certain things, that we really have to respect that and their vision of their tradition and their vision of those restrictions, whether it's more liberal or more strict, um, you know, we don't tell people, why are you doing X, Y, and Z? It's the Sabbath. But we also shouldn't tell people, you, you know, even though you think the Sabbath forbids you from doing that, you know, you, you can get a dispensation. So I, I think that's an important point. And, and there's, you know, some people asking that kind of question, like, well, I know other people have gotten a rabbinic dispensation, or I know that some people will run on a Saturday. How come you can't? But the reality is that that, you know, she's relatively on the you know kind of more observant side she lives in israel in a, a orthodox community her husband's a rabbi in a school and you know that's just not what their faith community does she wouldn't run on a saturday and she won't um and so that's why you know she's making this request and asking that that the date be moved so um you know i think she thought uh, she put a facebook post about this up last week that people could check out if they follow her you know, she 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 thought very long and very hard about the idea of re getting representation and and making a formal um, request and kind of taking that step because you know I think she felt like okay she was taking back channel attempts making back channel attempts trying to get the Olympics to move um, and it wasn't causing any waves and she was hoping that they were going to do it quietly and but you know she reached a point when. She felt like, okay, the message is pretty clear that they're not, that's not going to work. They're not going to do that. And either she could kind of take her, um, her faith and her belief and her stand and say, okay, my faith is more important than my running and I'm not going to run. And, and that, and kind of like leave it at that, which is one option, but you know, she felt and, and uh, what she expressed in this post is that she felt that um, it was a, it was, you know, an opportunity for the Olympics to 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 um, make some um, reasonable um, accommodations, and that it was she as she is, you know, she's recognized on the street in Israel. She's a people are more and more kind of seeing her as uh, as a role model and inspiration. And she felt like, you know, if she doesn't fight for her opportunity to get to the Olympics and to run in the marathon then what are people going to think and what are people going to, you know, when they're having their own challenges at work with Sabbath or, you know, with, uh, you know, there have been various cases in the U S about a debates that were scheduled on a Saturday and a, a Jewish high school trying to get the date moved or a basketball tournament. And, and, you know, she felt very strongly that, um, that there's a way, at least when there's a way to accommodate both 
um, that if we don't speak up for ourselves and, and we don't at least, you know, make that request, we don't at least, you know, give voice to what we are hoping that the, the IOC or whoever else was going to be, it's never going to happen. You can't expect people to, 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 to know or to do if you don't, if you don't ask. So that's kind of how she came to it that, you know, she's not really a public person in that sense. She's not looking for a fight. She's not looking to kind of um, put the IOC, the International Olympic Committee in a bad light or, or to create an adversarial relationship. But she just felt like the, the moment had come when um, if she didn't do anything and she just backed away, then, then that would really be the wrong message and the wrong, um, the wrong stance and, and kind of a missed opportunity. So I heard about this. We have a mutual friend who told me that she was, um, was up against the wall, essentially. Um, didn't, didn't necessarily know that she was looking for representation, but I reached out to her um, and, and we started a conversation um, about, you know, whether it would make sense at this point, whether the time had come to get counsel involved, you know, to hire a lawyer. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, she felt that she was comfortable doing that. She felt that it was the right time. And so, um, so you know, that's, that's what we did. And I, and I have to say that uh, I'm very um, happy and proud for my firm that's taking the case on pro bono. Um, you know, we're representing her pro bono, so we're, we're uh, you know, we're doing this because we think it's the right fight, um, and we're trying to get the right result for Beatty. And when shout out to you and Gibson Dunn and Crutcher. <laughs> and, and when you first talked to her, um, you know, what did you, you know, it's, what's interesting to me is that there's no law, there's no, there are no, like, you know, there are no laws that you can rely on. As, as attorneys, we look to law, we look to precedent, right. there's no law. So when you first talked to her, what did you kind of lay out as, your, your strategy and what did you lay out as like the, the you know, how, what you thought the best approach would be in, in taking this on? Yeah. So, I mean, I've never litigated in, before the International Olympic Committee before, you know, we try to try to uh, be flexible and, and kind of, you know, learn uh, new topics when we need to, but, you know, I had no idea what the process was, even, even from a kind of nuts and bolts perspective. So, I mean, that was the first thing is just figuring out how it works and what we figured out, we found out, um, is that uh, the International Olympic Committee's executive board has final say, final authority on all decisions relating to athletes in the competition, including scheduling. And so she had been dealing with um, representatives of the IOC, but of course not with the executive board, which is generally, you know, kind of um, more on the vision and kind of large scale um, decision-making process and, and not the nitty-gritty of scheduling and, you know, which race is going to be on what day and what time. So um, she had been working with her and, and um, appealing to the people who did uh, decide scheduling um, to try to get the race moved. But, but really, you know, what we found out or what we saw was that uh, we needed to go, once that process was at its end, that the place to go was the executive board of the IOC. And they have far-reaching powers and authority really to, to do anything. And if they believe and feel that it's the right decision to move a race, um, they, they can you know, certainly decide that. Um, so has there, and, been, has there been any precedent where they have made that decision based on religion? Yeah, so interestingly, what we found out, what we saw was that in 2012, the Summer Olympics in London um, were 
scheduled for Ramadan and, and, you know, Ramadan shifts year to year because it goes based on the lunar calendar. So um, it, it just happened to be that that year, that the month of Ramadan in which um, Muslims or many Muslims fast during the day and then they break their fast at evening time um, fell out during the competition. So there were a fair number of um, religious um, observant Muslim athletes uh, that were affected by this. Of course, if you have a race at five o'clock, you know, you don't want to be fasting all day, not drinking water and then running or then playing basketball or anything else. Um, and so the, there was a kind of a committee that was put together um, in an effort to see what kind of accommodations could be made. Um, and they, you know, they, they, uh, the IOC um, didn't, switch races off of the days that they were on, but they did move the time. So they moved some races to the early morning so that somebody could, you know, wake up and then race without being having fasted beforehand, or they moved them to late into the evening so that they could break their fast, have some water and food, and then do their event. So they, 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 uh, provided that kind of accommodation then, and which we're very supportive of BD Lauds and things that that was a great thing that the IOC did. They you know they worked to be flexible within the parameters that they felt were reasonable, you know, w with what they could do without disrupting other races, but providing an accommodation that would allow athletes of faith to participate, um, you know, to the greatest extent possible. So you know I think. What we're appealing to in terms of the IOC is that that's really what we're asking for here too. Um, you know, what there are a number of accommodations that that I think are reasonable and minimally intrusive that they could do. The, you know, the race is scheduled for Saturday. They could move it actually to Saturday night um, after sundown. I mean, it have to be pretty late, but um, but the they're running the marathon in two and a half hours for people who are in the Olympics. Um, so if it starts in Saturday evening, that could work. And actually, interestingly, the IOC was independently considering a nighttime marathon for 2020 because Tokyo was super hot and they were worried that the road was, you know, was going to be hot and that the sun was being down and the run, you know, it was just not going to be feasible to run Which the marathon. Which, although a different um, race and governing board that was done last summer in Doha um, for that reason, the race in Doha was practically in the middle of the night because it's so hot there. So the athletes competed in the evening as a result because the roads were so hot. Same thing. Interesting. See, I didn't know that. I'm glad I came on this podcast. I'm going to be able to look that up. <laughs> yeah, it's the world, the world marathon. It was called the World Championships and it was in Doha and I want to say it started at like midnight or yeah. some really um, strange hour. And so there were a few American athletes who competed and they basically didn't change their, their schedule so that they wouldn't have to adjust to a new time change because it was still early morning there. Yeah. If that so makes there sense. you go. So they, it, you know, it started yeah. at 1159 PM. Oh, wow. Thank you, Lisa. Okay. <laughs> that, I mean, and like, I guess they decided they wanted to keep it on that same day. <laughs> it's like, why? Yeah, that's exactly right. There you go. So, you know, that kind of thing. And, and you know, it, it, in the end, they moved the race, the, the um, long distance runs from Tokyo to a northern island because it was a little bit cooler. So they wouldn't have to run the middle of the night. But the fact of the matter is they were considering that. And, and it does seem like that's not a... Um, 
unreasonable thing, you know, for um, to put a marathon at nighttime. So they could do that. Another thing that they could do is switch the women's and men's marathon. The men's marathon is on Sunday right now. The women's is on Saturday. So they take up the same space, you know, the same route, the the same crowd level. You know, there's really no difference from a, either an athlete perspective or an interaction with other events perspective since they're already having a marathon on Sunday. So that's, you know, they could also switch the men's and women's um, and, and I think that that would be a reasonable accommodation too. And, and it's important to point out, and we do in our letter to IOC, that BD's not saying that a person's religious restrictions or beliefs will always trump and that, you know, no matter what a person, an athlete says, that the IOC has to work around them, whether it's scheduling or anything else. I mean, that wouldn't be reasonable. And, you know, it, obviously we understand that there, that there, there's, thousands if not tens of thousands of athletes and there's fans and there's officials and there's housing and there's you know transportation there's so many logistical issues and concerns that the ioc officials have to take into account and have to work around and, and that's completely reasonable um but what what we are asking and and i think you know is is really important from a precedent perspective is for the ioc to approach it from the perspective of let's see if we can find a reasonable accommodation. And, and that's how it works in US law too. You know, if you want to be a college football announcer and all the games are on Saturday and you're Sabbath observant, you can't say, you know, move all the games to Sunday. I want to, I want to be an announcer. I mean, it just, that's not how it works. It's not reasonable, but if your work can work around it, they're supposed to work around it. So, you know, that's what we're saying. I mean, there's, there's a way to do it. To, to make it work that isn't too in, much of an inconvenience that's reasonable, then the Olympics should do that. And whether that's a Jewish athlete or a Christian athlete or a Muslim athlete, that should be the approach they take. That should be the framework. And it seems, unfortunately, that's not the framework. I mean, that's the thing is that the, our understanding, the response has essentially been that, that that's just not a factor or consideration that they will take into account. Um, and, and that's really where I think the, the error is, you know, because if the IOC wants to be welcoming um, and accommodating and have to, to athletes of all backgrounds, uh, of all locations, of all faiths, of all communities, then, you know, they, they should at least um, make their decisions within that framework. Let's see if we can work it out. You know, let's see if we can make an accommodation that, that, uh, that can fit for the athlete of faith. And if, if not, not, you know, but at least let's try. In your letter, you pointed, I think, you, you know, you used the mm -hmm. Olympic Charter as one of the, you know, because like you said, there's no law to, to, yeah. to um, apply to the situation, but you know, use the Olympic Charter, which, which, you know, does reflect that, that, you know, that kind of the principle. So, I thought right. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, your question is, so where do you go for law when there is no right. law? I mean, you know, so that, that we look to the Olympic Charter, um, which does speak I think, you know, powerfully and aspirationally, but, but, but there's no reason why it can't be put into practice too, about fostering inclusivity and about non-discrimination and, and all those Olympic values um, that we hold dear and that the Olympics is, is trying to, you know, create a space for all of humanity, all, of, you know, mankind to come together under this kind of umbrella of inclusivity and diversity and non-discrimination that, you know, let's live up to those principles. Um, and it kind of reminds me, uh, you know, of the Constitution where, you know, we have aspirational ideals that we didn't necessarily always in our 
history live up to them, but we, but the point is let's, you know, we, we want to hold that document up and hold our government accountable to that document. And, and, you know, that's what we focus on is, is our ideals and our principles that are embodied. So it's the same thing I think with the Olympic charter, you know, and I hope that that, even if they're not bound to that in a kind of formal way that they'll feel bound to that, that that's what they're up to. I want to backtrack for a minute just because, um, we have a variety of listeners and, and maybe someone's listening and they're saying, but wait a minute, I'm Christian and I go to church on Sunday. So why is Beatty's um, Sabbath more important than, than the Sabbath of those who observe Christianity? And can you explain as a religious observant Jew yourself why she can't run on Saturday at, based on her level of observance? Sure. So, I mean, the first thing I'll say is it's interesting. I, um, I, I, there's this movie Chariots of Fire. Yes. Which is a British movie from the early <laughs> 80s about, you know, an Olympic runner um, who, who, who is a Christian and can't run on Sunday. I have to admit, I had not heard of this before this case. You uh, must I, be I, very young because it's like <laughs> one of our, our the best did you love the music from the movie? Because it's the oh, best. Oh, it was great. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Okay. I mean, I watched it, you know, as soon as I heard about it, you know, after the fifth commenter that said to Beattie, you know, you're like, it's like Chariots of Fire. I'm like, okay, I really got to go rent that from oh, Amazon funny. Prime. Older runners have that music running through our heads as we yeah. know. <laughs> For sure. And I probably Correct. have heard that music in other movies too, because like, that sounds very familiar. I guess that's the kind of like inspirational, like, it's happening, you know, m- music. So, I mean, but, you know, in that, that movie, which is, which is based on a real story, you know, the, the uh, British runner, Eric Little, who ran in 1924 Paris Olympics. Uh, so, you know, he refused to run. He wouldn't run because it, Sunday was his day of rest um, in the heats that were required to make it to the finals of a hundred meter run. Um, and, and, you know, the hundred meters kind of the marquee uh, track and field event. Um, and he, uh, he got a lot of pressure and a lot of consternation, you know, from the British kind of sporting community um, and from the British Olympic Association and, you know, people really pushing him. Why well, don't, well, you know, come on, you know, sort of you have to be so religious. Um, and uh, but, he, you know, he held his principles and the, the IOC at that time, it was 100 years ago, um, wouldn't move the race, um, kept it on Sunday. And he switched events and ran in the 400 meter instead, you know, he knew a number of um, months ahead of the time. And I, I think he actually won the 400 meter, which is pretty amazing that he kind of switched events, you know, three months ahead of the Olympics and then ran it and won. But anyway, you know, he set out the, the, the 100 meter there. And so, you know, I, I, I just to kind of get at the premise of the question before answering it, I mean, if there's a Christian runner who won't run on Sunday, then, uh, you know, we would support their, their right to ask for the same accommodation. There's no question about that. Just the reality of it is that most Christians don't, you know, the, most Christians view of their own restrictions on a Sunday doesn't forbid that. Um, the Jewish Orthodox view of the Sabbath is just far more restrictive. So, you know, we don't turn on lights, we don't drive in the car, um, we don't write, um, you know, we don't ride a bike. So they're just, you know, there's a a significant set of restrictions um, that kind of we view as creating the day of rest and the framework for the day of rest that are non-negotiable. And so that's, that's the framework within 
which BD is approaching this, you know, of course, like I said earlier, there are plenty of Jews that, you know, don't hold by those restrictions. That's fine. But, um, but her view and her, of the Orthodox approach to the Sabbath is that running and especially now running when she's a professional runner. I mean, she, that's actually her profession. It's her work. Her job, mm -hmm. right. She quit her job and that's her full-time job. Mm -hmm. And she, you know, I think she told you guys when she takes a nap, like, you know, that's her job too, because she's got a rest, mm -hmm. which I thought was great. Um, so, you know, I mean, it really is her job to run. And so to run on, on a Saturday, you know, in the Olympics would be doing her work, doing her job, which she, you know, which she won't do on a Saturday. So, you know, that's, uh, and, and, you know, so understandable that people, don't necessarily um, get that. Um, you know, I, I think sometimes when we see other faiths and other people's um, religious kind of commitments and restrictions, they don't necessarily make sense to us, but I think it's important for us to, uh, and I'm sure I'll tell you guys this, but you know, it's important for us to, to approach that with, um, with a kind of spirit of understanding openness that like, Okay, I don't really get it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I don't get it necessarily, but that's, you know, you do you, that's your thing and, and that's your belief and that's so you know, important to you and I want to support that. Um, so part two to the same question is another follow-up along the same lines, which is why can't she get special permission from her rabbi to run on yeah. a Saturday? So, I mean, you know, I think it's the same, the same sort mm -hmm. of idea. Um, you know, I, I think the the rabbis that she you know that she abides by mm -hmm. i mean you know and it just i don't even want to put it on in, in kind of in a rabbi's hands necessarily to bless it or not bless it but for bd herself her own you know she's a, an educated woman and an educated jew and and her own belief and understanding of the restrictions of of saturday are that she she can't do that and interestingly in the 2012 olympics I, I read that there were muslim athletes that got a dispensation to to eat or drink um during the daylight hours for ramadan apparently that's something that at least for some um is available and i think you could shift the days and then kind of make up the fast on another day so i you know that works out very nicely <laughs> if your faith you know uh, your tradition allows for that but that's uh, that's not something that's that's available to BD here, and so um, she's, if she's not gonna, if she has to run on Saturday, or if the race is on Saturday, she's just not gonna run it. So one important factor that we we haven't really directly discussed, we indirectly talked about, is that she's not formally qualified for the Olympics yet. She you said in two thirty two, she got very close. I think she has to be in the top eighty five. I think you know there's a ranking system, and and she can qualify. So she's not actually she's making this appeal. To the IOC without formally being a member of the Israeli delegation going to, to run. How, how does that, in your eyes, how does that play into this? Is that a factor? How do you feel about yeah. that? Yeah, no, that's a, uh, it's a fair question and a question that some other people have asked. Um, you know, the way that the system works is that you can qualify two ways. Either you run the qualifying speed. So right now that's 229. She's at 232, which is, you know, three, three and a half minutes behind that um i mean it's still amazing it's like her seventh olymp uh, marathon or something and every time she sees the gain five minutes so you know i think that she's very confident and of course has been training hard and knows her times and knows her training regimen and all that she's very confident that if there's another race to run she'll make that time 
Um, there hasn't been one, you know, she ran in January of this year in the, her 232. And then the, there hasn't been another marathon because of coronavirus. Um, but that's only going to put in about, as I understand it, about 40 of the 80 runners. The other 40 are by ranking. And the way the ranking works is that they look at the ranking as of, I think it's May 31st of the year of the Olympics. So it's literally like eight weeks before the Olympics. So there's just, there's no way. I mean, if she runs the 229, she'll be in fine, but it just practically speaking, there's no way to wait and see, you know, as of May 31st of next year, if she's within the top 80, um, and then make the application. I mean, obviously at that point, people have made their plane arrangements and their hotel arrangements and the TV schedule will be set and all of that. So, you know, that's, we think now is the time um, because the the intrusiveness of the change is minimal. I mean, really de minimis. I don't think anyone's made travel arrangements or, or done really anything based on the date. And so, you know, in an ideal world, I suppose she would have run that time and we know she automatically qualified, but, you know, w we feel confident that, she will if the race is able to happen. And interestingly, the IOC actually suspended all um, sort of the qualifying window from I think it was April 1st to December 1st. So even if somebody were to put on, you know, a, a marathon um, it, the, the, and somebody were to run a qualifying time, that time wouldn't actually count. So there's actually no way between at least now and December 1st to advance that process to get more points to run her 229 and so again she's sort of in a situation where there's just the time is now and and you know and i don't think the ioc has i mean it doesn't have kind of formal standing requirements in the way that a federal court would you know for the the non-lawyer listeners you know in the u.s court system you have to have been personally adversely affected by the law or whatever it is that you're challenging. Um, and if you kind of only have a sort of aspirational or theoretical harm that you haven't gotten there yet, you can't bring a lawsuit, but you know, we're talking about a, a private um, sports body that, uh, you know, doesn't have those kind of formal standing rules. Um, and even plenty of court systems outside the U S don't have standing rules in that same way, you know, um, I, I know the Israeli system, anybody can make an application to the Israeli Supreme Court, whether, you know, you have stand, there's just no concept. They don't believe in standing. So um, the IOC, you know, is, is more of an international body in that way. Um, and, and so, you know, I, look, if she was running, you know, if she was an hour and a half behind the Olympic time, I would say it's not really reasonable to make an application like this and ask the IOC to shift things around because, hey, maybe she, she you know, I really want to make the Olympics too. But, you know, but I mean, you know, reason, you know, reasonable people, I think, can, can look at where she is. She was ranked 76, uh, you know, in other words, within the top 80 in 2019. And so I, I think she just is a very, you know, she knows what she can do and wh wh who the other competition is. And it's pretty confident that um, once the race is reopened, she'll, she will formally qualify. We are too. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So do you have any um, idea as to how the IOC will respond to your letter and, and what is the timing of their response? So interestingly, there's, I mean, because there are no formal rules, <laughs> there are no formal rules for the application, the, for the procedure, for the timing, for the law, you know, it's very ad hoc. So, um, you know, they, they 
I'm hoping that they respond in a timely manner because as, if, the longer they sit on it, the the harder it becomes to change things around. Um, and I, I think it's only fair and right that they give it serious consideration, but then get us a response. Uh, there is actually an appeal process that we can take advantage of um, if the IOC um, reaches an adverse determination. There's a court of arbitration for sport, which is an international court based in Switzerland, um, and that the IOC has submitted itself to the jurisdiction of. Um, and they, uh, it's called CAS uh, for short. And um, it's a well-respected arbitral body that actually hears sports arbitrations, not just for the Olympics, but for um, between athletes and, and teams, between teams and teams, between organizations and athletes uh, worldwide for all kinds of sports. Um, and they're an independent body and they um, apply Swiss law and um, they uh, you know, are available to an athlete that's having a, you know, a dispute with the international committee. So you know, if the IOC doesn't reach the right results, um, we will certainly seriously consider initiating arbitration at the CAS, but I, you know, I hope it, it doesn't get there. What, I mean, just in your, in your estimation or kind of you being an observer of the process so far, what do you, what do you think is stopping the IOC from, from making this? Like why you're right. When you look at it kind of the way you've laid it out, very reasonable accommodations can be made. You can push it to later in the evening. You can change it, switch with the men's marathon. There's so many, it's not like it's a very big, what, what do you think has been sort of the, the reason that, that they haven't done that yet? Yeah, I mean, it's obviously hard to say. Um, I, I think the more generous answer, and so I'll, I'll kind of start generously, um, is that it's just not religious restrictions are just not something that the IOC is very familiar with and, and really understands, you know, kind of like, well, what does it mean you can't run on a Saturday because it's your Sabbath? Like, you know, I, I just think, and, and, you know, like we talked about somebody who's not from that faith community or is not observant, who's not religious, um, may just sort of not understand how that works and like how a person can have a belief that's so strong. And especially if you're coming from within the world of the Olympics, there's sort of nothing that's more important and, and more glorious than running in the Olympics and competing in the Olympics and being an Olympian and, and understandably. And so for somebody to say, I have this outside value system that forces me not to do that. I just don't know that there's the level of understanding. I, you know, you see even in the U S when you're in New York and you say to your employer, Hey, I got to leave on Friday afternoon. You know, the sun is setting. If they're Jewish or not Jewish, most people know and understand that. And like, okay, fine, go. You know, if you're somewhere else where there isn't a large Jewish community, they, they just, the, the whole concept just, just doesn't make sense. They just don't really understand it. And it's not necessarily that they're anti-Semitic or anti-religious or, or anything like that. It's just the, the, you know, it's the whole, it just, you know, it's hard to wrap your head around if you're not, if you're not used to it. And I think, you know, there were, it was a decades long process in the United States to get to the point where we are now, where I'm a Sabbath observant Jew at a big law firm. And, and I've never once had an issue with leaving on Friday or taking two days off for, you know, Rosh Hashanah or any other thing. Um, you know, the, one of my mentors, Nat Lewin, who is a kind of legendary 
constitutional and Supreme Court litigator and observant Jew. I took a class with him in law school. Um, and, you know, when he was starting out there, 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 like, you know, you had to go to a Jewish firm to, if you were a Jew, it didn't even matter if you were religious or not. You just like some firms were Jewish firms and some firms were not Jewish firms and you weren't going to get hired by the not Jewish firm. And so, you know, we've made such significant strides in the United States for faith, um, people of faith and, and understanding of faith, again, whether that's Jewish or Christian or Muslim or anything else. Um, and so I think that, that just we're beginning that process of the IOC. And I, I think it's a process of education it, it more than anything else. And, and, you know, I hope that with the, the fact that the, the in 2012, there was some movement shows that, that, you know, there, there's someone there that kind of gets it, but, you know, we just need to break through and, and, and yeah, going back to 2012, you know, something I was thinking yeah. about was, you know, that was a group of people. So it mm -hmm. was, you know, it was a, it was a, a whole group of people. And this is one individual that's asking, do you think that, you know, plays into it at all? Do you think that's a factor? It's one person asking versus a, a, a well, you know, it's not all the Jewish athletes coming saying, please, you know, make these accommodations. Sure. So, you know, I, I mean, there's no question that both from a um, kind of the more, more voices are amplified perspective. I mean, it's just, you know, you're going to get listened to whether it's in politics or in anything else when you're advocating and petitioning as a large group and that's understandable. Um, but also from a practical perspective, I mean, the fact of the matter is, like we talked about, you know, we're asked, it's a question of reasonable accommodations. And if you have 200 people that are saying, I can't run or I can't run at this time, you know, will you move the, you know, I want need to move the race. I, you know, I do think that that matters. I think that's fair. And if there were 200 BD Deutsches, I, I think the, the, the argument for moving the race would be that much more powerful. You know, I, I think it would be hard to believe that they, that they wouldn't have done it already if that was the case. So but if there were know. 200 BD Deutsches, there would have already been precedent and the race would have never been scheduled on a Saturday because there were 200 of them. So right. that is right. the whole point of what you're doing and how, how one makes precedent is that you have to take an unusual situation, which is what is presented to you and argue as to why there needs to be um, a, what I think is a minimally intrusive solution to the situation to accommodate her. And it it's appears that it wouldn't be in, an inconvenience to any of the other participating athletes given the choices of days. Yeah, no, totally. That's a great point. And, and you know, that's, um, you, you have to start with one. Um, and, uh, and, and I guess I should also say, um, it, it's not one, actually. There are a few, although um, each from a slightly different situation. But for example, there was an Olympian in the 2018 Winter Olympics, A.J. Edelman, who was observant, Sabbath observant, and participated um, in the bobsled competition. Happened to be that it wasn't on a Saturday, but if it had been, he wouldn't have been able to compete. Um, and he's looking to compete again in, in 2022. So, you know, what we do here will potentially impact AJ. There was an Israeli um, judo uh, Olympian, Bat El Gatterer, uh, who was observant, Sabbath observant, and also competed um, in the Olympics, I think in 2012, some, either 2008, 2012. Um, again, her races weren't on Saturday, or her competitions, her fights weren't on Saturday, but if they had been, 
you know, she would have faced that. And there was a, there's a ping pong um, aspiring Olympian in the US, Esti Ackerman, who actually um, is one of the top ranked US, I guess they call it table tennis if you want to be official, um, but I still call it ping pong, uh, um, players in her, in her, in the, you know, women's teen um, table tennis. And she actually had to miss the qualifying tournament for the 2020 Summer Olympics because the U.S. Olympic Committee wouldn't move the tournament off of Saturday. Um, so she, that was just last year that she actually missed the qualifying and now is not going to make it or be in the uh, 2021 Summer Olympics for the U.S. because um, you know she she was forced to make that choice and 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 wouldn't play so you know i think that there are and there are you know what there this is what happens there are probably other athletes out there that have the skills that have the ability that have the potential but that think that there's this ceiling and this roadblock and that they'll they'll never be able to make it they'll never be able to succeed at the highest level because they're going to be forced to make this choice and so maybe they don't even start down that road and so you know that's why it's so important like, like you were saying julie for to be the first one because that really serves to open the door it inspires other people it shows what's possible um and before you know it there's 10 and 15 and 20 um you know and that's that's really what we're what we're hoping for um, absolutely and and that is who BD is. I mean, everything that she's done so far, she's, she's a trailblazer. She runs in skirts. She runs in, even in the hottest weather, she's wearing sleeves below her elbows and she remains observant and true to herself and is able to run it at a, at a professional level in spite of what some may perceive as obstacles, but she's used those obstacles as strength to improve her running along the way. So there's no doubt that this, this, absolutely fits with who Beatty is. Even though you said earlier that she's not one to make waves, she is because this, this is who she is. She's not one to make trouble, but as John Lewis um, is quoted often since his death as saying, she's making good trouble. Yeah, hundred percent. No, no question. And there's, there's hardly, I, I, you know, you heard from you. There's hardly anyone more self-confident and self-assured than than Beatty is. So, you know, she's certainly no wallflower. She, she knows what her potential is. You know, she, she gives the credit to God and says that it's, you know, that that she's tapping into her God-given potential. But she's certainly very confident in her abilities and is, you know, isn't going to let anyone stop her from her full potential. Um, you know, I think that's why, you know, it, it, with some trepidation, she, you know, took the leap and said, okay, she's got to be, you know, the first one into the breach because, you know, it, as much as there's going to be pushback and there, there going to be haters online and there's going to be people questioning it, um, and saying why you didn't make waves and, you know, what, all that, you know, that, that's, uh, someone's got to do it. And, 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 you know, she feels like, and I feel like, uh, she's the right person for it. No, we feel like you're the right person to help her do this. Obviously, you're somebody who has a passion um, for what you do. This is something you've said. It's always been sort of your passion. Um, and and I think she's lucky to have to have found you. This is something you understand it from a religious observant perspective. And, and you also understand it from the legal perspective and everything that you've worked on in your in your legal career. So we feel like she's very lucky to have you and, and Gibson Dunn. And, behind you supporting you um so we're we're very curious to see and hope that a response comes sometime soon and 
minutes and keep her waiting for too long. Yeah, no, no question. Thank you. Very kind of you, and I, I think I do think it's it's a it's a good a good shidduch as we say in in uh, in, a, in the Jewish exactly. world. It's a good match. Perfect match. Um, perfect match. So uh, I'm very thankful that that you know I'm able to represent her and 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 see if we can kind of bring her to 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 the starting line in 2021 in in, uh, in Japan because I think that's where she deserves to be. Um, and I guess it, you know. Uh, one other thought I had is maybe a, a sort of closing thought is that, um, you know, in, in 2000, in, in 1924, um, well, when Eric Little of Chariots of Fire was um, forced to choose between the Sabbath and, and, you know, racing, he, he chose the Sabbath and he sat it out and, you know, that's admirable, but uh, you know, I, I guess I hope that in the hundred intervening years, we've moved to a place, gotten to a place where we don't have to force an athlete to, to make that difficult choice. I mean, BD's going to do it if she has to, that faith is above all else, but you know, I, I hope we can create, live in, build a world in which uh, we can allow for both athletic achievement at the highest level and holding true to one's faith. And, and hopefully that serves an inspiration not just, you know, in the marathon or in the Olympics, but more broadly that, you know, we can live in a world in which people of faith can both respect, uh, have their beliefs and, and requirements and needs respected and respect others and, and that, that everyone can work together to allow people to achieve their potential regardless um, of whether they necessarily understand or don't understand the other person's perspective, but they respect it and, and that way. Um, you know, we can, we can all make it work. Amen. That is well said. And uh, that's exactly why you're the right person to represent her. We should not have to choose between our sport and our religion. We should be able to observe and, and passionately pursue both. So thank that you seems so consistent much. With the, that, that's what the Olympics are all about. I think that's, you know, like we said in the beginning, the Olympic charter and the Olympic spirit and, you know, even though we don't have a law that applies to this situation, I think that's really what, what is the, the guiding principle. Definitely. Amen. Well, thank you very much, Akiva Shapiro, for coming on the podcast today and taking the time to speak with us and, and talk about the amazing Speedy Beatty. And uh, we look forward to hopefully some good news soon. Uh, you know, from your mouth to God's ears and to the Olympic Committee's <laughs> ears, both. So thank you guys very much. It's a pleasure thank chatting you. with you guys. I really appreciate the support. Thanks, Akiva. Have a great night. Yeah, you too. Thank you so much for listening to the Run Farther and Faster Boston Marathon podcast. We want to give a special thanks to our editor, Aaron Bryan. And if you enjoyed this episode and enjoy listening to our podcast, please share it with others and please leave a review if you haven't done so already on iTunes. Thanks for listening and have a great week.